C.S. Lewis said, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. So we've been wrestling with this theme of humility throughout our entire time in Philippians. In fact, the very heartbeat of this letter, and I would argue the heartbeat of our faith, is found in the very center of this book, the picture of Christ found in Philippians chapter 2. The one who was in the form of God, but he did not regard his equality with God a thing to be exploited and used for his own gain. The story of the life of Christ, our Savior, is a story that ought to mark our own lives as followers of Jesus. If you remember later on in the letter, Paul placed those cookies on the bottom shelf within all of our reach as he drew our gaze toward the life and ministry of a guy named Epaphroditus. He was a regular guy. He served the Lord faithfully. He was local to Philippi, so everyone knew him. And he sacrificially lived his life for the glory of God and the good of his brothers and sisters in Philippi. He was a man who embodied the mind of Christ. And I want you to hold that thought in your minds as we travel through this idea of the mind of Christ. In other words, to be a citizen of heaven is to be like Epaphroditus, to follow him as he follows Jesus. And in so doing, as citizens living in a colony of heaven, we are extending the rule and reign of the kingdom. But as we saw last week, the spirit of Rome is powerful and seductive. And so we must stand firm, both individually and together, as a body here at Redeemer Fellowship. This morning, Paul, Paul's charge to stand firm gets a little bit personal. He fully understands that struggles in the church, specifically struggles that come from more prominent members, have the ability to cause significant disruption, especially when those struggles misrepresent core teachings of our faith. In this case, humility, sacrificial love, and reconciliation. And so with that, let's jump in and see what the text has for us. Last week, we saw how Paul was instructing the church to imitate him and those who walk according to the example you have in us. This week, however, his tone shifts a little bit. With primarily positive examples throughout the letter, this morning we're going to see two people who are struggling. But Paul, being pastorally minded, he sees this as an opportunity. All right, so let's take a look. Verse 2 of chapter 4, it says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. All right, so Yodia and Syntyche, they appear to be having some sort of conflict. We really have no idea what the conflict is. There's all sorts of, of, of debate about what it might be. There's all sorts of guesses and hypotheses, but we really have no idea. But that's not really the issue. Notice that Paul entreats both of them. And so this term, important term, it could be translated as urge strongly or I appeal to you. In other words, there is a sense of urgency here. It's important to Paul that they get this right. This matters. This is a pressing issue for Paul. And so this isn't just some throwaway sort of thing that's like, oh, just figure out your stuff. Like, no, no, no. Paul is concerned not so much in the issue, 
but in the fact that they are divided. If you'll remember, unity is an enormous deal for Paul. It's part of how he preaches the gospel of Jesus. So keep that in your minds. The repetition of the words also really important because it indicates that Paul isn't taking sides here. At least he's not taking any of their sides, but rather he's taking the side of their shared faith. And what does he strongly urge them to do? To agree in the Lord. To agree in the Lord. And so what? Like, we just, like, we got to agree about everything? Like, every single thing that comes down, right? Like, like there's, there was a major disagreement in my house a few weeks ago. Because my son argued that pepperoni pizza is the best pizza. It's a fact. He said it was a fact. There's, there's clearly some, some issues here as well. While another person in our family said, that's not a fact, that's an opinion. And to which he responded, no, it's a fact. There was a disagreement. Now, I don't think Paul is trying to convince my kids that they need to agree on which pizza is better, or maybe he is. But, but anyway, let's, let's, let's keep pushing here. This is where Paul is just a master communicator. He's very good at what he does. So, so this term, to agree in the Lord, it's actually the same term that's been showing up throughout the letter, phroneo, the fun word to say. He says in chapter 1, verse 7, it is right for me to phroneo this way about you, to feel this way. It's right for me to set my mind and my entire being upon you, Philippians, as a church. He says in chapter 2, verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Again, that phroneo term shows up by urging the Philippians to walk together as a unit. He then says in chapter 2, verse 5, have this mind, same word, the noun form, among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. The mind and disposition of the church is to be found in the person and work of Christ, and it is a mind of humility and self-sacrificial love. In other words, Paul is imploring these women to put away their differences, to remember who they are in Christ, and come together in love and forgiveness. See, that's the point that Paul is getting at. This isn't some major doctrinal issue. Something else has divided these women, and Paul is looking at them and saying, no, 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 no. Everything I just said about Jesus, it applies to you. Have the same mind as one another. Come together in the faith. Remember, you belong to the crucified and risen king. Come together. That is what Paul is getting at here. This is not you need to agree on every single thing that you've ever had an opinion about. This is you are brothers and sisters. You are sisters in this case in the Lord. Get it together. Remember the family that you belong to. There's a challenge embedded in this for all of us. We've all experienced conflict within the body of Christ. I'm not going to ask you to, to raise your hand because I think every hand would go up. And church hurt cuts deep. Would you agree? But God is calling us to something. As members of the body of Christ, God is calling us. As those who have committed ourselves to any body of Christ, whether it's here or you've committed yourself to another body of Christ you're visiting this morning, to, to do just that, to be a committed member of that body of Christ. 
to lay aside the differences that you might have and come together in your shared faith to stick it out and to move toward those with whom we might have struggled with. What this doesn't mean doesn't mean we remain in abusive situations. It doesn't mean we don't hold others accountable. It doesn't mean that we allow for for false doctrine to be proclaimed from the pulpit. But what it does mean, it means that we put in the work so much as it depends upon us so that we might be at peace with all people. Why? Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're unified in Christ. And that's really important. He says, agree. What does he say? Agree where? Where is this agreement supposed to take place to agree in the Lord? There's that phrase again, in Christ, in the Lord. It's, it's where we are located in Christ. And so the Bible talks about this, that we are brought into union with Christ when we put our faith in him. And, and when we're in union with Christ, we're also in union with the body of Christ. And, and, and all the time throughout the scriptures, he likens this, Paul often likens this to, to the marriage relationship, that when you enter into a marriage covenant with your spouse, you come together in, in one of the most intimate ways someone can come together. And that's, that's the picture that Paul gives us for Christ and the church, that we're in this together. There's an intimacy that we share with one another because of our bond with Christ We are bonded to one another. And so Paul's not playing games here. This isn't just some throwaway verse that he's like, oh yeah, by the way, Yodia and Syntyche, like get it together. He's like, no, 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 this is a big deal. Agree in the Lord. Have the mind of Christ who, who lays everything aside for one another, for the good of the church, for the good of his people. That's what's happening here. In fact, Paul knows that it takes work to do this, and it requires help. In in verse 3, he says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul asks a reliable friend, it seems. Someone he probably knows. Someone he's probably had interactions with. This is a, a trusted friend. He says, help these women, please. Help them. And why is Paul concerned? Because he knows that these sorts of things have a way of infecting the entire church. And again, we know this because we've all experienced, especially when the strife is between higher profile individuals. And that's just real, right? Churches do have more upfront people in their community. And so when there's division in the church, especially as it rises up to to some of the leaders in the church, that affects everybody. In fact, what we need to kind of get over, um, especially as as Western Christians, those who who breathe the air of of what it means to be an American, the, the, the rugged individual, what we need to come to grips with, right? In the same way in Philippi, they needed to come to grips with that. They breathe the air of that Roman colony. We breathe the air of this American and Western world that we live in, that, that it's not personal anymore. It's corporate. The struggles that we have, while they might be between two people, they affect everyone. See, that's the thing about sin. It doesn't just affect the two people involved in sin. There's ripple effects to it. 
I mean, I sometimes, like, I'll say to my kids, like, if, if you guys can't figure this out, no one watches TV tonight. And, and to which they respond, well, that's not fair. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm like, I know, sin has consequences for the whole entire family. And as a parent, you know when you have to uphold some sort of consequence, it also has an effect on you. You can't sit down and relax. You can't kick your feet up because you've got to deal with the sin in the home. Sin has consequences not just for the individuals, but it ripples out, especially when it is relational sin. These women also, they were co-laborers with Paul, meaning that they were probably known among the church. They so served in some sort of upfront way. And their names, along with Clement and the rest of Paul's fellow workers, they're written in the book of life, meaning they are followers of Jesus. So this is a family problem that Paul is engaging. And he's saying, we need to figure this out. You need to help them. You need to come alongside them. This is Paul loving them. This is Paul caring for them, not just for these two individuals, but for the entire community of faith there in Philippi. And so the point is that conflict between brothers and sisters in the church is not personal. It is corporate, and it needs to be dealt with. And we deal with it by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul says that in Ephesians. And in so doing, as we submit to one another, and as we more and more embody the mind of Christ, we show the world what God is like. We show one another what God is like. Because truth be told, all of us need to be regularly reminded of what God is like because we forget, because we live in this world. We are inundated with the, the, the realities of this world, whether it's through social media, whether it's through news platforms, whatever the case may be, whether it's just going and driving up and down the Garden State Parkway or going to ShopRite, whatever. We're inundated with the spirit of this age, with, with the conflicts that are surrounding us in this world. And so we too need to be reminded what I find interesting about Yodia and Syntyche is that they're given this opportunity, like on a silver platter. Like, like Paul's basically saying, like, I just talked to you about Timothy and Epaphroditus. I just showed you Jesus. Yodia and Syntyche, you have an opportunity to be those same cookies on the bottom shelf to show your community of faith what it means to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, to walk in humility to embody the very mind of Christ. That's what's happening here. That's what's being uncovered as we work through this passage. The text moves on, verses 4 through 5. And so while Paul, so while there might be conflict and struggle within the church, Paul knows that this can't be the focus. So he says this, verses four through five. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And so he interrupts this, this discussion about Yodia and Syntyche, and it seems like he's completely going off on a tangent, but that's not really the case. There's actually some, some intricate connections here. We're going to get to it. He says, he issues a command. He says, rejoice. He says it twice, right? It's a big deal. He's like, rejoice, rejoice. And, and a better way to understand this is celebrate. Right, he's, he's basically issuing this command, hey, church in Philippi, celebrate. Celebrate. Get excited. Now remember, Paul is writing from prison. Right, he's got plenty of problems of his own, problems that are probably more pressing than Yodia and Syntyche's problem. In other words, he has the credibility 
to command them to rejoice, to celebrate. And he doesn't just command them to celebrate, but he also commands them to let their reasonableness be known to all sorts of people. It says everyone, but all sorts of people. Another way to understand this, this idea of reasonableness is, is, is gentleness, kindness. But if you dig deeper, and this is where I think it's really important for us to understand what's going on here. It carries this idea of not insisting on every right of the letter of the law, not adhering to a strict justice. In other words, be a people marked by love, kindness, gentleness, and reconciliation, not holding people to the highest and strictest of standards in your relationship, going tit for tat with one another. Right? That's what he's getting at. He's like, don't, don't be the kind of people that, that look for those gotcha moments. Right? You either are one of those people or you've experienced those people. And, and, and you kind of you get excited when you have a gotcha moment. And, and you really dig into them. It's like, ah, but, 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 but what about that right there? Huh? I, I, you didn't know I saw that, did you? Oh, but love is something that's so much bigger than that. The love of Christ is something so much bigger than that. I, I don't know if you know, but Jesus doesn't go tit for tat with us. No, the love of God, it covers a multitude of sins. Our lives are hidden with Christ. I'm not saying that sin doesn't matter. I'm saying that we need to pick our battles. That's important. Because we don't want to be the types of people that are always nitpicking at people, that are constantly chomping at, at someone's heels like, a, like one of those little lap dogs that kind of just run around and just are constantly like, and if you like, that's great. That's great. We don't have one of those. We can't be a people who are looking to get, to get somebody, especially in the community of faith. And Paul then tells us why. This is where I think it's really important for us to, to always be really focused on the text, to look at the details. He says in verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, to all sorts of people. Don't be tit for tat, gotcha people. Why? The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. The reason why I don't want you to major in the minors to constantly be divisive with one another, to constantly be looking at foolish controversies and stirring up strife. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. In other words, Jesus is near. He is near in the sense that he is in our midst, and he is near in the sense that he will return. The Lord is at hand. So there's this warning, but there's also this picture of hope. It's, 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 like, a, it's like, a, like a two-edged sword here. He's like, get it together because the Lord is at hand. Oh, but celebrate because the Lord is at hand. Again, this is, this is the Christian faith, right? It's, 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 it's constant. Like these, these, we're walking on like the razor's edge sometimes. And there's a lot happening. The point we cannot allow ourselves to be overwhelmed by conflict within the family of God because there are bigger fish to fry. 
Therefore, we need to move toward one another in humility and mutual submission, pursuing the unity of the faith, allowing love to cover a multitude of sins so that the world might catch a glimpse of what God is like. And, and this is not, what I'm not saying is that, is that we don't deal with conflict. Please hear me. I'm not saying that we don't deal with conflict. No, no, no. As Christians, we should be the best at dealing with conflict. We're not, but we should be. And, and what's interesting is that Paul kind of gives a little bit of a model here. He's first saying to, to the two women who are struggling, first of all, agree in the Lord. Remember who you belong to. Remember the family that you have been adopted into. First and foremost, all of us need to remember the family we've been adopted into. And then he, he talks to one of his friends. He says, and, and trusted friend, can you help them? Because the reality is, for us to agree in the Lord, sometimes it's going to require, oftentimes it's going to require help. Oh, but that's the beauty of the body of Christ. We have one another. We have people in our midst who are able to help with those particular things, those conflicts, whether it's between friends, whether it's in a marriage, whatever the case may be, between, between parents and children, if we need help, we should go get help. Far too many Christians think, well, I don't need help because I have the Bible. It's like, okay, cool, 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 that's great. You know, we all have the Bible, but you also have the church, the spirit-filled church. And sometimes we need one another to help us figure this thing out. I'd say more often than not, we need one another to help figure this thing out. And this is not me saying that you need a pastor to help you figure this thing out. Like, yeah, there are certain things about this book that I understand. I went to seminary, and I get it. But, but there's also certain things about this book that I don't understand. Maybe when it gets to the more practical level that I need help with, that I need the example of, of the people in this room to show me, to shed some light on something that I might be blind to. Yeah, cool, I can, I can, I can conjugate a verb and, and, and give you what it means in Greek and Hebrew, whatever the case may be. I mean, truth be told, like, I'm medium at that. I don't want to, like, like, let's not be impressed. Like, I have software, it helps me a lot. But the point is, is that, yeah, I have technical skills. I know that. God gifted, I'm grateful for that. I praise God for that. But, man, I have practical skills that are way lacking that I need help with that I, I legitimately look to the people in this room for help. And I'm not just blowing smoke. I mean that with all of my heart. I text people. I ask questions. I mean, I bring up Debbie all the time because we're in the office all week. But, like, Debbie has heard me, you know, complain. And she's like, well, that might be gossip, maybe. I'm like, well, maybe you're right. Sorry. <laughs> we need one another. Paul knows that. That's why he's getting his friends to help. The text continues, and it appears as though Paul shifts gears here in verse 6, but I actually don't think that's true. He says this, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He says, do not be anxious. Okay, cool, thanks. Check, got it? We're good, right? Like he told us, so we're good. Do not be anxious. Another way to understand this word is, is not to worry, not to be preoccupied. 
In other words, we need to get our eyes off the things that are causing us concern and reorient them toward God, and he tells us how to do it. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Don't be anxious, and if you are, go to God. Pray. Ask him for help, specifically supplications, those petitions. Give thanks. How many of you have ever been in an experience where, where you were going through something and you took a moment and you stopped and you paused and you started just expressing gratitude for what God has already gifted you with? And all of a sudden, you slowly start to reorient what's going on in your brain. Thanksgiving has a, has a remarkable way of shifting your focus away from yourself. Um, Deanna had this book, and, and I think Debbie had the same book, where, where they were instructed to, to write down different things that they were grateful for throughout the day, and I think it was called A Thousand Thank Yous. And, and you literally just, you, you take time and you go through it, and, and you write down, it's a devotional, and you just write down every single thing you're thankful for. We've shared some of that with our kids and encouraged them to, to practice gratitude. To thank God for the beauty, the wonder, the grace of this world that he has, has entrusted to us. Little things. Little things. Whether it's the smell of, of, of freshly baked bread. The post love that. Whether it's being in your garden. Whatever the case may be, these little things, relationships in your life that mean a lot to you. I give thanks for, for this church regularly, and not just in general, for the people in this church. I'm grateful for this church. And so Paul says, do not be anxious, but pray. Cast your cares upon God. Practice gratitude. What is really interesting, though, is that this command is in the second person plural, meaning that Paul, once again, is talking to the entire family of God. And so we can, we can interpret this in, in two ways, right? And I think, I think it's a both-and situation, that there's individual anxieties that we have and, and ways to combat, combat that on the individual level, but there's the corporate thing that Paul is constantly talking about. The second person plural, it just basically marks most of what Paul is doing. He's talking to churches. And he's saying, Redeemer Fellowship, don't be anxious. Pray. Don't be anxious. Thank God for where he has taken us. I think it's important to remember a couple things about this particular church in Philippi. The Philippian Christians are outsiders in their city. We know they're suffering within the community because we know they have opponents, as it says in chapter 1, and that they have been gifted not only with salvation, but suffering for his sake. We don't really, we don't really see that as a gift, right? And, and, and you could take a look back. I believe Pete preached on that a few weeks back, the gift of suffering. So not, but not only are there external pressures and possible persecution, but now there's some struggle internally. And the point that God is trying to convey to the church at large, don't worry, God is with you. 
and Redeemer Fellowship, the same words are being spoken over us this morning. Do not worry. God is with us. God is with us. I think an important caveat here, whenever we're discussing anxiety, we need to be careful. Because the, the anxiety being discussed in this passage is not the same thing as the anxiety that some may experience because of, because of chemical imbalances that, that you might possess. Um, we're under the care of doctor, medication might be needed. That's not the anxiety we're dealing with here. And we need to be careful because I think too often in the church, we, we've just assumed that everyone was anxious in, in the way that Paul's talking about, but there's, there's actual medical reasons why people are anxious. And so we need to be aware of that. The anxiety and worry being dealt with here is the sort that comes from us struggling to entrust ourselves to God, something we all struggle with, myself included. But there's something so beautiful about the spirit-indwelt body of Christ. It is within the second person plural of God's people where we find that peace that surpasses all understanding, that peace that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Look at what the text says. It says, By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God, and the peace of God, that peace that doesn't make sense, right? that peace that you've experienced in the midst of, of great difficulty, and that same peace, it actually guards your hearts and your mind. That might even be that same Ferneto word, and I'd have to look it up. But it guards your hearts and mind, and it keeps you in Christ Jesus. See, that peace that we draw from God when we entrust ourselves to him individually and corporately, it guards us, it protects us. It protects us from going wayward. It protects us from, from, being, from being duped by, by the world and its systems. But we gotta pray we got to pray together as the body of Christ. we got to allow ourselves to be prayed for. We have to ask for help. Yodia and Syntyche needed help. And this takes humility again. That's, that's what's happening in this entire book. The, the, the calling that God is, is, is placing upon us individually and corporately is to be humble. To be humble to recognize you don't have it all together. And we don't. We don't. I mean, practically speaking, we have a prayer box in the back of the sanctuary that if you are in need of prayer, you can write your request down. You can put it in there. The prayer team prays for you. The elders pray for you. If you want, we can reach out to you and, and ask you how you're doing. It could also be anonymous, total up to you. You have community groups where you can, you can cast your burdens on one another. Ask for the help you need. I know there are needs in this church. I know the struggles that people are going with, going through. Even this week, the struggles that people are going through. We need one another. I want to share a little bit about our story as a church. So in September of 2020, I accepted the role of lead pastor here at Redeemer. For those of you who were here during that time, you probably remember where we were, um, the uncertainty of that season. We went through significant difficulty during those quarantine months. And to be completely honest and candid with you, I was terrified. I was terrified to step into the role 
that I was being called to step into, I was terrified. Because I knew, right, like I knew that God was with me because I, I, I read this book. It says God's with me. So I knew that. I knew that. But I struggled to believe it in, in full honesty. I experienced anxiety in a way I never have. A couple of you had front row seats to that. But then some things started to happen. So it's interesting because what Paul's getting at in this text is, is he's, there's a warning embedded here. Individuals can negatively impact the life of the church, especially when their minds are set on earthly things, as Paul warned about just a few verses earlier. And, and as he's warning about here in the relational division between Iodia and Syntyche, and that's because Christianity, as I've said in the past, is a team sport. But God can also use individuals to positively impact the life of the church for the same reason. So I'm going to name some names. I'm going to name them. Have you ever seen Seinfeld? you get that joke? A few nights before we had our first service back in the building, we were in this room. We had tables set up, and we were trying to think through some of the protocol about what it would look like for us to get back into the building. Lee was leading that meeting, and I was sitting there probably just white as a ghost, terrified. Donna Oliver came up to me, and she looked me straight in the eye, and she said, God's with you. You have this. You have to step into this that God has put before you. One of the most important moments of my life here, uh, Donna. Debbie Stangley took all the logistics of planning events off my plate so I could focus on preaching, teaching, and caring for the needs of the body. Teddy Burzon stepped in and took over the hospitality team, making sure our nights around the fire were taken care of. Nights that for some reason made me so anxious, I don't even understand why. We were just sitting around a fire. I had and continue to have regular encouragement from people like the McCombs, the Cromwells, the Dailies, and so many more of you. Courtney and Matt rebuilt our greeter and usher team. Nancy McKay got back to work preparing communion week in and week out. Ellie Post rebuilt Redeemer Kids. Tara LaRosa resurrected our worship team and then handed off to Cheryl, who took the reins from her last year. Julie Petrowski faithfully took care of our audiovisuals and, and continues to help on that team throughout the pandemic and beyond. My in-laws walked with us through much of the difficulty of that season. The elders and their wives cared so well for my family. They continue to do so, sharing the load, allowing me to lose it at times, walking with us through the peaks and valleys of what the last few years have been. And I know for a fact, because I know I'm missing people, and I apologize for that. I know that so many of you prayed. You prayed for me, you pray for our elders. We prayed together. We mourned with one another. We grieved losses together. And where we stand today as a church and, and where I stand personally as it relates to the church and where I believe many of us are standing is right in the middle of the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. God is faithful. All that to say that God is faithful and he's basically saying, come to me. Those who are weary and heavy laden, cast your burdens upon me. Jesus says that his yoke is light. He says it's easy. But how many times do we feel like we're dragging a boulder behind us? God says, entrust yourself to me. Entrust yourself to one another. 
help each other carry that load. Because often we think that this casting of burdens onto Jesus is some, is some just like only spiritual thing that we do in our prayer closet by ourselves. But, but, but in reality is we have this incredible opportunity as the family of God to be the answer to one another's prayers. We've seen that happen in this church. We've seen people's needs cared for financially, relationally, so many things. I've been on the receiving end of it. I just listed a whole bunch of people who cared for me and my family when, when I needed. And, and when I felt like I was carrying a boulder behind me, they just started chipping away at that boulder. And now I don't, I don't feel like I'm carrying a boulder anymore. Like, I feel like I got a couple of pebbles in my pocket that, I, that are my responsibility that I need to care for. And the beauty is, is that that boulder has been redistributed throughout the church, and, and everyone's got a couple pebbles in their pocket. And, and some, some pebbles are bigger than others, and we might have to chip those up, and some of you aren't carrying. And we've got we to invite you in. Like, we, we, are, we are a team here. We're a family. And, and, and as my old pastor used to say, no one rides the bench here at Redeemer Fellowship. And so we all need to kind of put those pebbles in our pocket because that's what we're called to. We're the family of God, the body of Christ, many members. One head, many members. The message of Philippians couldn't be clear. Have the mind of Christ. Entrust yourself to Christ. Entrust yourselves to one another. Walk in humility. Carry the burdens of one another. Fight the temptation to go tit for tat with one another. Believe the best about one another. And love one another as Christ has loved us. And how has Christ loved us? By counting us more significant than himself. When he laid aside his heavenly privileges. When he clothed himself in flesh. When he walked the earth in poverty and faithfulness. When he died on the cross for our sins. When he was buried and descended to the dead. And when he was raised to new life and seated at the right hand of the Father. And we are called to have the same mind. So many of you have done that for me and my family. It's what it means to live as citizens of heaven. If you're here this morning and, and you've never experienced the love that I have just described, the love of Christ, the love that entered into creation, took on flesh, died for our sins so that we might have life forgiven of every single transgression that we've committed, then you can't leave here this morning without knowing that God. And I encourage you, I challenge you to consider the things that we've wrestled with this morning. My hope is that if you don't know Jesus, that as, as I describe to you the love of Christ and, and the love of Christ that manifests itself through the people of this church, my prayer is that, that you were a little jealous about what you heard. That you were sitting there thinking, well, I, I want a piece of that pie. My prayer is that the Spirit is working in your life right now, convicting you of sin and drawing you to himself. And we, we sang earlier, there's, there's nothing better than, than you, right? We, we were singing that. And sometimes when we sing, we, we forget, we, we, we just sing, right? It almost becomes rote to us. Like, it's like the words are on the screen, I'm standing and, and I'm singing, and our mind might be in a million different places. 
I mean, you might be thinking about the reservation you made for later for Mother's Day, and you're thinking like, man, I hope they hold it. I hope it's not too crowded. I hope the kids don't act crazy at the table. These are the things I was thinking about. Um, but, But the point is, is that Jesus truly is better. That is 100% true. He is so good. And he's calling us to follow him and to be brought into the family of God. And he asks us to, to repent and believe. Repent and believe. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you so much. We thank you for your grace. We truly do. You have cared so deeply for our church, for us individually. You've saved us. You've made us your sons and daughters. Father, I pray that we would fight tooth and nail to follow you, Lord God. That we would be reminded regularly of who you are as we look at your word, as we pray, as we spend time with one another, as we carry one another's burdens. Lord God, we love you with all of our hearts. Be with us now, in Jesus' name. Amen.